Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, July 15th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio, his new home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwenk. Sarah Abbott is working from her place in Connecticut. I'm Buster Only, and I'm working from Montana today. Taylor? Uh, you, you're well-established as being the premier Orioles fan at ESPN. Mm-hmm. So the question is, who is the hottest team in baseball today? Mm, I I think it's got to be the Mariners, Buster. They Their win streak I, a little bit longer. Did I ruin your, see, your I thought thing you again? would step out and say, it's my O's. Like, I'm watching the O's. I'm excited every game. I'm watching the O's. But no, <laughs> you know, you mentioned the Mariners. Well, they just keep on winning and winning and winning. Yesterday in an afternoon game, they faced the Texas Rangers. This is what happened in the top of the fourth inning. There's a swing and a line drive into center field, and that is going to skip on by Tavares. Right underneath his glove, all the way to the wall. Watch Sam run, running second, heading for third. He's going to be waved in by Maniacta. The throw in by Tavares, cut off by Simeon. Relay to the plate, not in time. Head first slide. Sam Haggerty with an inside the park home run. That from Seattle Sports, 7:10 a.m. So that seemed to start the Mariners on the comeback trail. Ty France got them over the top in the top of the eighth. The set by Burke next off on the way to Ty swinging a line shot, base hit in the left field. Toro scores. Haggerty running third, heading home. The throw to the plate is cut off by Culberson. Ty France with a two-run single to left, and the Mariners have the lead for the first time of this ball game, six to five. And this is what it sounded like in the bottom of the ninth inning. The stretch and the 2-0 pitch. Swing and a fly ball into shallow left field. Winker coming in, calling for it. He's got it, and the Mariners have won 11 in a row. The Mariners hang on for a come-from-behind 6-5 win over the Texas Rangers tonight. Diego Castillo gets the final three outs here in the bottom of the ninth inning. The Mariners have now won 19 of their last 22 ball games. So I sent out a tweet earlier today asking that question, who's the hottest team in baseball? And I mentioned the Mariners, I mentioned the Orioles, a couple of other teams. Most people are voting for the Orioles, but Seattle, now with 11 straight wins, they're 19-3, and as Rick mentioned there, over their last 22 games. Yesterday, the Braves and the Nationals, Michael Harris II, what a throw he made. Two balls and a strike, two on, one out. And a line drive into center field, a base hit. Runner around third is going to try to score. The throw is close in. They got it. What a throw. Yeah, Chip Carey with that call on the Braves television network. You can tell he was surprised. Like, base hit center field, run, runners rounding third. Oh, my God, look at that throw. Unbelievable. Michael Harris the second, who was actually viewed as a top pitching prospect when he was coming out of high school, showing off that arm yesterday. And he showed off at the plate as well. Another 3-2 pitch. Swung on, hit high and deep. Right field. Back goes Soto. He looks up. Edwin is gone. Home run, Michael Harris. Great at bat by him. Fighting off pitch after pitch. And he puts the Braves on top. 4-2. Joe Simpson, 680. The fan the Braves win that game 5-4. 
Mets ace Jacob DeGrom threw four innings, struck out four in his third rehab start. He continues to make progress. He spoke to the reporters after the game. Hey, Jacob, how are you feeling? Feel good. Um, felt a little out of whack the first couple innings, but then, you know, tried to make a little bit of an adjustment and I wasn't locating my fastball quite like I wanted to early on, but then, you know, the uh, last couple innings felt a lot better. The Reds and the Yankees. The Reds trying to take the series from New York. In the bottom of the eighth inning, with the Yankees trailing 4-1, to one, Aaron Judge went deep. Driven deep into right center field. That ball is gone. Oh, what a shot by Judge against the back of the Yankee bullpen wall. 4-2 Reds. That was Michael Kay on the Yes Network. Yeah, Luis Castillo, who is a trade target of the Yankees, the Dodgers, and other teams, threw well in this game. The Yankees would come back against the Cincinnati bullpen. The two teams would go into the 10th inning tied when Joey Votto got a big hit. And Votto rips a line drive into right center field. That's a hit. It is by the right fielder Carpenter and to the wall. Drury is home to score. Votto into second with an RBI double, and the Reds are back on top five to four here in the tenth. And the Reds win seven to six to take the series. After the game, Yankees manager Aaron Boone was asked why he didn't use any of his high leverage relievers in the game. I mean, you go into it with we have and. Um, you know that's part of the that's the, the schedule that lays out, and and Lucas has has gotten a lot of big outs for us this year. You know, just tonight, you know, did a good job with Fam there starting out, and then Votto got him with the first pitch. Um, you know, and then they got just couldn't put put some guys away, but you know, that's part of it. He's going to get opportunities again. Yeah, and what Booney's not going to say is that the Yankees with a big lead are going to be conservative with their handling of relievers, make sure that they're all lined up and fresh, relatively fresh, going into October. Agent Casey Close sued Fox Sports radio host Doug Gottlieb for libel over a tweet about a contract offer to the Dodgers' Freddie Freeman before Freeman signed with the Dodgers. That was in negotiations with the Atlanta Braves. We talked a couple weeks ago about Casey Close and Freddie Freeman and uh, the fact that Casey XL had been fired by Freeman. So this goes on and on and on. And I'm sure Freddie Freeman just wants it all to stop. Marlins, Pirates. The Pirates are leading 2-1 to in the 11th inning, and this happened. The 0-1 pitch. Anderson lines with a right center. That's down for a hit. Aguilar scores to tie it. Garcia around second, headed to third. He's racing to the plate. Here comes Avi. It's another walk-off win. The Marlins score twice in the bottom of the 11th. Brian Anderson, the walk-off hero. That yeah, was Glenn Geffner, 940 WINZ. Guardians, Tigers, and an all-star came through for Cleveland. Here's a pitch, swung on, blasted high, deep to right center, gone! Andre Simenez with his 10th home run, and he got it off the left-hander. And the Guardians now lead it 4 to nothing. Tom Hamilton, WTAM 1100. Dodgers in St. Louis facing the Cardinals, and Gavin Lux got a big hit. Stretch and the pitch. Swung on and driven to right field and deep. This ball headed back to the wall. It is gone into the Cardinal bullpen. A two-out, two-run home run for Gavin Lux. And the Dodgers lead it 4-0. 
And that would be the final score. Tim Neverett on AM570 LA Sports. And by the way, Tim Neverett's going to join us on Monday's podcast. Taylor, what else you got? Very exciting there, Tim Neverett coming on. Uh, Buster, I've got the captain, the story of Derek Jeter's life and career that premieres on Monday after the Home Run Derby at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern after the conclusion of the Home Run Derby. And it's also going to be streaming on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, should be really great. Episode 1, check that out. Also, college football always. It's always college football. There's no offseason. So you should listen to Greg McElroy as we charge toward the start of the season. He had Nick Saban on this week, Mac Brown. I'm not sure he has on today, but he's going Monday, Wednesday, Fridays until uh, probably about mid-August and things will ramp up and he'll go five days a week. That's always college football with Greg McElroy. Check that out wherever you listen to your podcasts. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com Buster. Just go to Indeed.com Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All aboard. It's the Rabbi Train with Carl Ravitch. The Rabbi Train, Carl Ravitch, will be the host of the Home Run Derby on Monday, Rabbi. You were the host of the uh, unveiling of the bracket for the 2022 Derby. What do you think? I'm extremely excited about it. Um, I think you have to focus on the people that are there. I think Pete Alonso is to the home run derby what maybe Michael Jordan was once to the slam dunk competition. He is like the greatest guy to ever do this. Um, he takes an enormous amount of pride in it. Uh, in a lot of ways, I think this is akin to a heavyweight champion and the way we used to revere the Muhammad Ali's of the world and, and those guys that held the belt. Um, look, the home run has long been mythical in sports lore in this country, from Babe Ruth to Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds and everyone else in between, that if you're the home run derby champion, I think that's a loud statement that you're making in the sports world. And there is no single event like a home run derby to say, I'm the best. Alonzo has come out and stated it. Um, I would have loved to have seen the other great home run hitters of this day and age go at him. 
Hey, here I am. Come get me. There, there's there's no secrets here. There's there's a way. You know, you hit the ball over the wall more times than the other guy. You're the champion. Pete Alonso is the undisputed greatest home run hitter in the game today because he competes in the home run derby and he wins it. I'm excited about it. Yeah, and you reference this about uh, you know the slam dunk competition in the NBA. You got three point competition. You got the skills competition. Uh, you know in the NFL, which seems to change every two minutes. This indoors, and in fact, I think you would agree with me that from that year that Todd Frazier won in Cincinnati, where because of a uh, you know a rain issue that we had there that year, they put a time limit on it, and I think everybody got lucky in discovering this great element which seemed to just heighten the excitement around it. Hey, the, tweak, the tweaks have been tremendous. But let me just give you this example. When you talk about, and I talk about, the NBA slam dunk contest. Last couple of years, here are your champions. Obi Toppin, Anthony Simmons, Derek Jones Jr., Hamadou Diallo, Donovan Mitchell, Glenn Robinson III. In baseball, Pete Alonso twice, Bryce Harper, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Todd Frazier, you mentioned, twice Yoenna Cespedes and Prince Fielder. The, the biggest names in the game participate in the home run derby, and that alone separates it. So, yeah, the, the timing thing is tremendous. I know people have suggested maybe at some point it evolves into a, into a tag team competition. Maybe you do that every two or three or four years or five years. Maybe every year there's a WBC, you tie it to a, a tag team competition. I, who knows? But it, it just works. Uh, the excitement is unbelievable. It's nearly as popular as far as viewers as the All-Star game. S- seven to eight million people will watch this event. And, you know, Alonzo and Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna Jr. and Albert Pujols appreciate how how popular this event is and how how important it is to compete in it, and in Alonso's case and the other guys that are trying, to win it. Yeah, and that's what really you know jumps out of me about Pete as the two-time defending champion is that you know some guys are kind of like, well, maybe I'd do it or maybe I'd get involved in it. Pete wants to win it, and I think that is fueling the interest in this event from other players. I don't think anybody's going to come out and – uh, necessarily sort of spell out exactly what they want to accomplish in the event this year, uh, Carl. But I feel a, a sense of competition vis-a-vis Pete more than I ever have. And I've been covering this event for a lot of years. Like, you get the feeling other players are like, oh, yeah? Okay, we're going to take a shot at it, which is part of the reason why I think we have such a great field this year. You know, we were disappointed that Giancarlo Stanton, you know, five days ago, we were under the impression he was going to compete. But even without him, my goodness, you think about, you know, all the experience, guys who've done this before, big names. This is going to be great. I do think, Carl, that it's going to take someone with a home run derby experience to win it. What about you? Yeah, look, I, I think we have we have certain guys in this event who are who are home run hitters. Um, Alonzo, to me, is a home run hitter. Kyle Schwarber is a home run hitter. To me, Juan Soto, if he wanted to be Joey Votto, and instead of getting on base as often as he does and, and having his eye be what ultimately is defining him, if he wanted to, I think Juan Soto could hit between 40 and 50 home runs every season. 
a lot of that depends on the people on his team and whether he's going to get pitched to. But I think he is, if he wanted to be, a home run hitter. I think guys like Acuna are, are more of, of all around. I'm getting on base. I'm driving the ball to the gap. I'm using my speed. I'm running around the bases. Uh, he, he strikes me as, as one of those guys. Uh, the jury's out on Julio Rodriguez, but he strikes me as that, that same Acuna guy. So I, I look at the guys that are, to me, in this derby as home run hitters, as having the best chance to win it. And that's why, to me, it's Soto, it's Schwarber, and it's Pete Alonso. But those are the three guys I would list as my favorites by the same token. If Aaron Judge did it, Aaron Judge is a home run hitter. If Jordan Alvarez did it, he's a home run hitter. Vlad Guerrero is a home run hitter. Those are those are the guys I'd like to see take that challenge that you think does exist and maybe lit a fire under some of them. Pete Alonso is 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 out there. He he's already declared himself the best to do this currently. Somebody else has got to be willing to say, well, all right, I'll, I'll take that challenge. And to me, those are the home run hitters that should be doing it. So among the, in the derbies that you've been around, uh, would you agree with me on this? And it's the reason why I think Acuna Jr. is an interesting challenge for Pete in that first round is that he's the only guy, Carl, who I've seen in the derby basically goes line to line with his power. You know, you remember when Lance Berkman won it. Uh, he batted right-handed and he just peppered the Crawford boxes in Houston with home runs. He went to the same area. You know, Pete is generally speaking a pull hitter. I remember when Acuna Jr., <laughs> like he's hitting home runs as a right-handed hitter down the right field line, right center field, wherever the ball's pitched, he was hitting it out of the park. That's pretty unusual in this event. And the other, I talked to Tomas Perez, who's going to be throwing to him in this event. He's a Braves coach. Uh, and he mentioned that, that, you know, Acuna Jr. is just, his strength is so unusual that he didn't really care where the ball is pitched as much as maybe some of the other guys. Yeah. And again, I, you know, I'm not a hitting expert. Uh, I know most people think if you can groove a swing, and I think there are certain guys who this doesn't necessarily apply to. When we were in Miami, Aaron Judge destroyed like upper right field seats. Yep. Um, Acuna sprays it everywhere, but I think for the most part, let's think back to Josh Hamilton and what he did at Yankee stadium. For the most part, all of his homers were center field or right center, like all of them. Todd Frazier, everything was to left field to your point. Alonzo, for the most part, he's going to left field. I ideally to me, and again, I'm not an expert, but I would think if you could groove a swing, and you could hit the majority of the baseballs in one place. The pitch is located the same way, and you get into this almost Iron Byron maneuver where you're lifting it the same uh, launch angle, same location. It's easier to do. Schwarber's another guy. You're going to see a lot of balls to right field. Uh, I would think you'd have more sustained success that way. Acuna's dangerous to me because he's such a freak athlete and yep. this spotlight ain't going to bother him at all. Uh, you know, he's, he knows I got my chance. I'll sure. I'll be the first one to go at it and let everybody talk about the three Pete's and repeats and Pete Alonzo. I'm great with that. Two other things. Acuna has got something to prove. You know, he has not had a great season 
homer-wise. Here's another chance to show I'm over this injury, and I'm going to show you that I am back. I'm Ronald Acuna Jr. When I did this healthy, everyone thought I could win it. I can certainly win this darn thing. And look, there's a brave Met thing going on, too. I'm sure he'd like to beat the New York Met. He's a brave. They're in the division. Same thing. I want to. I want to be the dominant guy. Yeah, same thing. Schwarber in being in the same division 100%. against the New York Met and Pete Alonso. Uh, I, you know, that, there's no question to me. Jose Ramirez is the biggest underdog in this event. Uh, you know, he's a, he's not much taller than I am. He, he's yep. you know got the height of a sports writer. I remember when Alex Bregman was in the Derby, and AJ Hinch, his then manager with the Astros, told me. You know Bregman, he's got the confidence. He thinks he can win. And I remember thinking, yeah, like a flyweight can win a heavyweight championship. <laughs> because at some point, you're going to need that type of strength that Pete Alonso has, where even if you mishit the ball, it still goes out. Where on the other hand, a Bregman, a Jose Ramirez has to be a lot more precise. So it'll be interesting to see if Ramirez can overcome that. Uh, are you, as the host of the event, are you comfortable making a pick and saying, I think this is the guy who's going to win it? Yeah, I don't. I don't have a problem, and it's not. I don't. I'm not rooting for anybody. Look, I'm rooting. I'm rooting for the most compelling, dramatic outcome we can have. I'm rooting for swing offs. Um, I, I love the Albert Pujol story. If he could shock Kyle Schwarber, I'm all about the story. But until somebody proves that they're better than Pete Alonso at this, and I give yeah. him credit for coming back again, then Pete Alonso is going to win. In my opinion, going to win it. I, I certainly think Schwarber is capable. I think Soto is capable of winning this thing. Um, but until somebody does it, I think Pete Alonso wins this until he doesn't want to do it anymore. I got Juan Soto winning it because of the confidence we saw yep. last year, uh, the incredible show that he put on against Shohei Otani, uh, and the other yep. thing too, and it's along the lines of what we know about Pete, how Pete believes in this event. He loves this event. So does Juan Soto. Like Juan no, Soto no. feels like that this event turned him around last season you know, forget that narrative about, well, my swing fell apart after the Derby. Juan Soto believes that he got better after last year's Derby, so he's totally invested. Uh, ta- uh, Taylor and Sarah, I want you guys to chime in and, and give me a, a a guy that you think is going to win this Derby on Monday. Taylor, who you got? I want to see Pete Alonso go for the three-peat. I, that's what's most intriguing to me. I mean, he's, he's so much fun to watch in these events. I love the swagger. Yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for the three-peat. Sarah, who do you think is going to win? I mean, I'm with Taylor. I would love to see a three-peat. I'm just so excited in general. I love events like this, but I always root for someone to keep their streak alive. All right. Uh, and we know during watching the event, a lot of the shots that we're going to have, Carl, are from uh, of other players watching those guys hit home runs. And, you know, you and I – uh, I've watched baseball our whole lives, but we never played it at that level. And so to see guys who played at that level in awe of what a Pete Alonso, a Juan Soto can do, that's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Uh, I want you to, I want to give you the poll question today that we started out the show with the hottest team in major league baseball is fill in the blank. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's, it's a tie. I mean, it's, it's the Mariners and the Orioles. Um, and I said last night on the Home Run Derby show, the reason the Mariners have won their number of games in a row is because of Julio Rodriguez. I mean, he, he's, he's been that guy. So they're, they're equally as hot. Is there, is there a difference between winning streaks? <laughs> they're the same. I, 
I, to me, the Orioles are the bigger surprise if, if that was, you know, kind of the, the way to go about it. But I don't know. To, to me, they're, they're the same. They, they both have, have dominated. They both won 10 games in a row. They're the same. I, I wouldn't put one as hotter than the other. I know this, that the Orioles, who have competed really well against the Rays and Yankees, have the Rays to finish out the first half. They have the Yankees to start the second half. They have the Rays immediately after that. Then they have the Guardians. So I don't think the 10-game streak goes to 20 because they're going to be tested, but they have shown they have the ability to play against the big guys. They're a bigger surprise to me than than the Mariners. I, I thought the Mariners were a competitive team this year. I really thought that they were going to be uh, a real wild card threat this year. I did not think that about the Orioles. And I did not pick the Mariners to make the playoffs before the year started, but I do think they're going to make the playoffs now. Uh, they're essentially playing on a 108 win pace over the last quarter of the season. And Carl, the reality is, and you just laid out the schedule in front of the Orioles and maybe they can continue through and, and, and uh, wind up winning a wild card spot. But the fact is, is that for the American league East wild card contenders, it's a steel yeah. cage match. Um, you know, I did get up this morning and uh, a researcher there looked this up for me. Moving forward for the rest of this season, five of the 10 most difficult schedules going forward are for American League East teams. It, it, they're just going to beat the hell out of each other. And I think the Mariners playing in the, in the West, you know, getting a lot of the games against the Oakland Athletics and other weaker teams, they're going to take advantage of that. I don't see three... American League East teams coming out through uh, and, and winning wild card spots. What about you? Uh, no, I don't either. And I, look, the reason that the schedule for the teams in the American League East are deemed the hardest is because they're all you know over five hundred there. So th- that th- th- there is a logic to that. Where you're right, the Mariners can play and come back against the Texas Rangers, etc., uh, and the Oakland A's. I I would agree a hundred percent that the Mariners are in a much better spot. But I think over the course of 162 games or what's left of the second half of the season, once we get there, it's going to be difficult for me to think that the Austin Volts of the world, who have been so great since coming over from Washington, are going to be able to sustain that for the next 75 some odd games against that competition. I think they're a competitive team, but they all acknowledge they come from the land of misfit toys. You know, they didn't fit with certain organizations. They they weren't given opportunities that Brandon Hyde is currently giving them, and they are taking advantage of them. But again, this is this is ten games. Uh, to me, you have to wait and see. You, you you don't win or lose a postseason spot over a ten game, or in the Mariners' case, an eleven game win streak. Uh, but I think Seattle's in a much better spot than Baltimore is. The Yankees are obviously in a great spot at the top of the American League East, but just watching them over the last couple of weeks, Carl, uh, I feel like that they do need to make a major move before the deadline. I would have said Andrew Penintendi the other day, but then, of course, you know, who knows now what's on the table after uh, it was revealed that he is not vaccinated and could not make that series of Toronto. I think they need Luis Castillo, the Reds, and I think this is a good time to make that move in part because – we know in the second half they're going to want to rest some of their starters. And if you go and get a Castillo, maybe you do a six-man rotation for a while. 
You also now have an injury issue with Luis Severino. I don't think it's a major injury, but it's a concern. And then Jamison Tyone has really struggled of late. And the good thing about making a deal for Luis Castillo is, is that not only does he help you for the rest of this year going to the postseason, but he helps you in 2023 uh, before he ha- he's eligible for free agency. You buying or no? Yeah, I, look, I, I think that there's a bit of we're, – we're kind of getting to the end of the first half. We've been so great. We've seen Clay Holmes hit a little wall here. I have zero concern about that. Uh, I, I do think that there is there's a peak and valley aspect to the Yankees. Wouldn't it be amazing – if the postscript to this season was the Yankees went out and got Luis Castillo because Andrew Benatendi wasn't vaccinated and they moved away from that. And that was going to be their big move. And Castillo comes in and, as you said, helps with the starters uh, and they win a World Series. Wouldn't that be an amazing kind of subplot to how they got to winning a World Series championship? I don't know. I, I don't think, Buster, I'll be honest with you, I don't think that a huge move is something they have to do. Uh, I understand it because I think there's a there's almost like a lethargy here. Can we get to the all-star break and then recharge and, and start again? Uh, you're right about Tyone. We had him in Boston. It, it, it just looks a little bit different. But, again, he was so good at one point. I think he was, what, 7-1 and one with an ERA of sub-3 at one point. He went on a run. You know, you – uh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong there, and I think maybe the All-Star break will will recharge them. Sure, I could see it. I don't think it's necessary. No, and by the way, you know, this series they just played against the Reds, you and I have seen a thousand instances and, and had conversations with players through the years that, you know, you get up for a big series, four games in Boston, yeah. you play the Red Sox, yeah. emotional, you know, the two comeback wins for the Red Sox in the last two series – and then they essentially had a hangover against the Reds. That's yeah. something that's happened year after year after year. Players talk about it privately, uh, and they say that's just, you know, that it, the Red Sox series takes a lot out of you. Before you yeah. go, I want to uh, talk to you uh, about the Blue Jays' decision the other day to fire, fire manager Charlie Montoyo. I thought it was ridiculous, Carl, and I thought their handling of him was ridiculous. You know, in the spring, we got this sort of tepid extension that they added on to his contract. There was a lot of, uh, you know, chatter around the edge that Charlie really wasn't their guy. But because he helped them navigate through this COVID uh, time and they played well at the end of last season, they're like, well, okay. But to fire him now, in the timing of this, you know, they, they clearly were not playing the way that they expected but then uh, Julia Budzinski, the, the daughter of their first base coach, she's killed in this terrible tragedy. The team immediately slides into a slump. They lose nine out of 10 games. Uh, you know, and I think it was within 48 hours after they ha- you had coaches going to a memorial service for her that they make this move. It's like, come on, if you didn't believe in the guy, you should have fired him in the offseason. You should have moved on and brought in the guy you won. And so for them to do it right after that tragedy, Carl, it kind of – and I talked to folks with other teams who, who read it the same way. They're like, really? That's when you're going to do that move? What would you think? Yeah, I, I was really disappointed in it. Um, I, I, there's a, I think Charlie, to some extent, had seen the writing on the wall, uh, to your point about the 
the bringing him back, extending him. Um, I think it's easy to look at this organization with all the stars that they have on that team and think that the players ruled the roost there and Charlie was more of a yes guy instead of, uh, hold on a second, we're, we're not going to steal that base. We need a little bit more discipline. And I don't think that that was, you know, that's not who he is. He's an incredibly affable guy. He knows baseball. He relates well to players. But if you're looking for a reason to get rid of them, you could, if you're the front office, say we, we, need, a, we need a more disciplined approach on this team. We're underachieving. You make this move when a Kansas City Royals double-A team is rolling into town and you've got a chance to sweep them, and it looks like, wow, we told you that a managerial change would light a fire underneath these guys, which is total BS. Um, but as you said, we've seen – how these things unfold a hundred times. Um, how many times have we seen managers win world series? And there are fans of the team that wins the world series saying we didn't win with this manager. We won in spite of this manager. He didn't really help us. And boy, now we've got to keep him for another year. Managers and I have never been one where I say, yep, that that's why they're much better. They made a managerial change. Joe Girardi could have been manager of the year in two years, and he gets fired. We saw it with Joe Torre. We saw it with Terry Francona. How many times have we seen guys who have been managers of the year get fired two years later or win manager of the year two years after they got a new job? I, I never understood it, and I, I feel terrible for Charlie, and let's see what the Blue Jays do once this Royal Series is over and the second half starts. Yeah, and you heard a lot of voices in the last year say that, you know, the Blue Jays' long-term guy was John Schneider, who, uh, you know, that that was the the person that the front office was really excited about. Well, then they should have done that last winter. You know, instead they wait till the middle of this season. It's almost like they were waiting for him to fail. It kind of reminded me, actually, of when – you remember when Charlie Manuel was manager of the Cleveland Indians? Yes. That there was yes. always a feeling of Charlie's not really their guy. And they're waiting for that time uh, until, you know, when the team loses a bunch, then they get rid of him. It's like, geez, if the guy, if you know the manager's not your guy and you're not excited about him, we know that because of that extension they gave him, then make a change, step out and, and, and grab control and be a leader. A hundred percent. I'm with you. And Charlie Manuel is one of those guys I was thinking of. You're absolutely right. I will see you in Los Angeles, sir. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Buster. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, 
surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Jeff Fletcher covers the Angels for the Orange County Register, and he's the author of the new book, Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball season ever played. Jeff, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Buster? I'm doing great. Thanks for joining us. I, I'm imagining you probably knew about two weeks into last season that you were going to write about Otani because of how, uh, you know, how amazing it was all seemed to be coming together for him. Well, I actually started doing this in 2018 because basically two weeks into his 2018 season, he was having a remarkable start and he clearly showed that he could be a two-way player, which nobody had done in a hundred years. And I had a deal to write a book then and I got two months into it and then he got hurt and then the deal went away. So uh, I didn't think it would ever come back. Uh, and then a couple of years later, 2021, he's all of a sudden amazing again. And, uh, had multiple publishers interested and, uh, it was definitely a, a good story. I'm glad to tell it. Yeah. And it feels like a turning point in the whole conversation around him, uh, occurred, you know, Perry Manassian takes over as general manager, you know, Tani is uh, at that point, a, a couple of years removed from Tommy John surgery, he's ready to go. And the angels effectively just took the shackles off him. Correct. Yeah. I mean, basically, you know, nobody knew how a two way player was supposed to function pretty much in the major league. So when, when Otani got to the big leagues in 2018, they had all these rules for, you know, he wasn't going to hit the day before he pitched the day after he pitched, he wasn't going to hit and pitch on the same day. And they were very careful with him, which is to be, you know, it's, it was understandable, but it just didn't work. He, he didn't, uh, he wasn't healthy and it didn't really help his performance either. So they got to 2021 and it was after, you know, a very disappointing 2020 where he got hurt again as a pitcher and also was a really bad hitter. So I think they basically said, Hey, look, this is our last chance. Let's just do it his way. We're going to let him go as much as he wants. He's going to tell us when he's tired. And beyond that, we're just going to let him play and we have nothing to lose. And uh, it, it worked out brilliantly. When was the moment uh, during the 2021 season when you felt like, wow, th this is unbelievable. It was pretty early. It was uh, the first game of the season, uh, the first game that he pitched, which was a Sunday night baseball game. And uh, in the top of the first inning, he threw a 101-mile-an-hour pitch, which we hadn't seen since before Tommy John surgery. And the bottom of the first inning, he came up and he hit a ball 115 miles an hour, about 450 feet. So those thing, two things, uh, I believe certainly nobody else in Major League Baseball did either of those, did the, both of those things in the same year. And uh, he did them both in about 15 minutes. So when that happened, we were all like, wow, he might actually do it this year. And it helped that it felt like, uh, you know, and you've known Joe a while, I've known Joe a while, uh, that Madden was the perfect manager for this type of, uh, of situation to play out. Yes. Well, he's certainly not constrained by any tradition. Uh, he is willing to kind of go with it to with, with whatever works. And he says a lot. It's just sort of feel that he does things by. He does use a lot of analytics, too, and a lot of the same stuff as other managers. But he's also willing to kind of go off the chart. And, uh, you know, there were times last year where he uh, would leave Otani into a game, you know, later than we expected because it's like, oh, wait, it's the third time through the order and he's throwing 100 pitches. and Why isn't he coming out? And Joe basically said, you know, we're, we're trying to push him to, 
to see what he can do. And, uh, you know, they obviously saw a pretty impressive season. How did Otani handle it behind the scenes? Uh, you know, get this incredible season coming together, trying to balance all the physical demands and also, uh, let's face it, all the attention, you know, from uh, knuckleheads like us. <laughs> well, he has a pretty good way of handling knuckleheads like us, which is that he just doesn't talk to us very often. So that was a little bit of a challenge uh, covering him, but the Angels really uh, wanted to kind of give him space to do what he did. So, you know, you couldn't just walk up to Otani and chat with him in his locker for 15 minutes, you know, interpreter or not. You know, there were very specific times you could talk to him. So that was one way that he kind of cleared space for his his work. And I think the other thing is that he just doesn't really, he's got it really figured out how much work he needs as a hitter and a pitcher. Uh, he doesn't do a whole lot of, uh, of pitching work or hitting work. Uh, he balances it pretty well to keep from just physically exhausting himself. And uh, I think that, you know, one of the things about him is everybody says, imagine how good he could be if he only did one. But in uh, 2019 and 2020, when he was basically only a hitter, he wasn't really as good a hitter because he only had hitting and he just wore himself out, you know, in the batting cage and that kind of thing. So when he's got both of them, it really balances him and it makes him better at both. So as someone who covers them on a daily basis, do you feel like that, you know what, that it's go- in terms of limiting his act, feel like it's gone too far? Because there have been times when, you know, we drop in to do a Sunday night game or leading up to the home run derby last year. And it put in what I think is a simple request. And we get back like, nope, he's not available. And I mean, that's annoying for me as a reporter, but I also wonder how some of that plays with some of the other folks in the clubhouse. Um, that's a good question. I know as reporters, we uh, think that it's maybe gone a little bit too far and, you know, we would like to be able to talk to him, you know, occasionally between his starts or, you know, after, uh, just a normal offensive game instead of, you know, oh, unless he hits two homers, he's probably not going to talk to us. And uh, and so you wonder if the other guys in the clubhouse think, hey, how come I have to talk? And he doesn't. But yep. I think that they do understand he's different and he's got 50 people around here just to talk to him. And if he stops to talk to a couple of them, then it, it could easily spiral out of control. So I think there's probably a middle ground that, that I would like to see the Angels and Otani reach where, you know, there is more access to him, but it is still, you know, controlled and not just you can talk to him whenever you want. But, uh, you know, right now, as long as he's doing great, uh, it's hard to argue that their recipe is, uh, is working. So, as you know, the conversation last year after Otani got off to that great start was so much about, boy, this opens the door to other two-way players. How do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, that is a great thing that we like to talk about in the media, but it really doesn't because I think there just aren't people on this planet that have the talent to do this. And, uh, you know, one of the problems is you don't just have to have the talent. The talent's got to have developed at the same pace. So I talked to Rick Ankeel about this, who's obviously, you know, one of the few people who ever lived who can have some experience with this, being able to be a hitter and pitcher in the major leagues. And he says, basically, the problem is, you know, say you're ready to be a pitcher in the big leagues, but as a hitter, you need like another year or two of the minors. Well, that's not going to happen. You're done as a hitter then because they want you in the big leagues as a pitcher. So you've got to have both at the same level to where a big league team can put you in and you're going to be productive at both at the same time right away. And it's just going to be really, really hard to, to ask somebody to do that, let alone just having the talent to begin with. 
And again, we're talking with Jeff Fletcher, the author of the new book, Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball season ever played. When I read your book for the first time, I loved Dan Keel's perspective. I, I thought it was great. And I, you know, when Otani first came over, I was thinking, yeah, you know, maybe it'll open some minds, but I just think it's too difficult. Like, I, I don't think it creates a wave at all. I think it only underscores how different Otani is from anybody else. You know, I, I I agree with you. I think I think it's a lot easier said than done, especially and and you and I have have covered baseball long enough to know how front offices as a, have evolved. I think front offices are much more aggressive in saying this is what you are, and they're not necessarily going to go. Eh, if you want to pitch, you want to hit. That's not the way front offices work these days. Yeah, I think that it, it's certainly they're not going to be more Otani's, who is a guy who's like in the rotation and an everyday member of the lineup. That's not going to happen. But I think that if teams are willing to let guys try it in the minors and a guy can get further along with it, what we might see is more like Michael Lorenzen's. You know, Michael Lorenzen a few years ago obviously was a reliever and he sort of moonlighted in the outfield with the Reds. They'd use him to pinch hit, finish a game in the outfield occasionally. And that really helps with roster flexibility, which, as you know, nowadays – uh, you know, especially as baseball is trying to limit the use of pitchers and limit the pitchers on the roster. That is something that we could see more of and could be more useful for teams. Or even if you have an outfielder who uh, who's a regular outfielder, but he can pitch just well enough to be your mop-up guy to where you don't necessarily have to only use a position player to pitch when you're down by eight runs, but you can use them when you're down by five runs to save another reliever. And he's still going to go out and like have a chance to keep you in the game. All that is is definitely useful. So, Jeff, if you look at the trajectory of the MVP race in the American League, it feels inevitable that Otani will win again this year. You know, Aaron Judge probably has been the MVP in the American League for the first half, but Otani just keeps getting better as a pitcher. Uh, his command has gotten better this year. He continues to produce on offense, and eventually he'll have enough value where it's not even going to be a conversation just as it was last year. Uh, but spinning forward, you know, Otani, if he winds up having back-to-back MVP awards – the conversation really is going to turn a lot more toward what's his future with the angels because he's uh, eligible for free agency. As you know, after 2023, I'm skeptical. He's going to stay there. What about you? I think it's perfectly reasonable to be skeptical. And uh, you know, certainly the angels have not won uh, lately and everybody says winning is the most important thing. Every player says they want to go to a winning team. That being said, uh, not every free agent signs with the Yankees or Dodgers. So there are other things that count uh, for players. There's how much money you get and there's how comfortable you are with the people around you and where you live. And I think the angels certainly have a chance to, to win on both of those accounts. They've got lots of money. Uh, you know, he's got, he's got a nice place. As we mentioned, he's got a pretty nice deal with the media where we don't really bother him, which, you know, if he goes to play for the Yankees, I don't know if that's going to be the case. So uh, I think there's a lot of reasons for him to, to like the angels. And if they write him a huge check, I would not be shocked if he does stay, but also, you know, it is realistic to say that, you know, the angels haven't won and he wants to win. So he might just go elsewhere too. So the, the short answer to that is I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I would not be surprised either way if he, if he stays or goes. You think they'll try to push that to a resolution early in the upcoming off season so they can make a fair assessment about what they should do with him. And one of the options, of course, if they don't feel like they can sign him is to tra- flip him and trade this winner. Yeah, I do think they will try to sign him this winter, but I don't think that even if they're unable to sign him, I don't think they would trade him 
because they still are going to try to win in 2023. And he is a big part of them winning. You know, if you're going to trade him, you're not going to get equal value in the short term. You're going to maybe get prospects who are going to help you in the long term. But I don't think the Angels, as long as they have Mike Trout, are in any position to look long term anything. So even at the risk of having of keeping him as a free, keeping him through 23 and then just losing him, I think they would pick that as opposed to just taking a year off and uh, not even trying to be good, which is, I think, what they would do if they traded Otani. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to completely speculate here about uh, if, in fact, he becomes available, give me three teams you think would be one, two, and three as, uh, you know, potential landing spots for him. Because I got the Mets as being in a really interesting spot. Uh, obviously, Steve Cohen, their owner, it's like cost be damned. He doesn't care. If, and we know uh, from his art collection, if there's a piece that he wants, he doesn't care what the price is. And two, I really think, and you know Otani far better than I do, I have a feel for him, that uh, past relationship with Billy Epler, the former GM of the Angels, could be difference-making in trying to tell him, look, we will make your life livable within the, the confines of uh, being a, a superstar in New York. What do you think? Well, he definitely has a great relationship with Billy Epler. Billy, a lot of people believe, was sort of the biggest reason that he picked the Angels, just the way Billy wooed him during the, the process. And obviously, they have the most money of anybody. So that is certainly a, a good choice. I would say the Dodgers also would be a pretty good choice because he's familiar with the area still. And the Dodgers are still, uh, you know, LA is a big city, but it's, you know, the West coast media is not the same as the East coast media. So I think he could still kind of live in his little bubble a little bit. And uh, certainly if you want to win, the Dodgers are the gold standard. They, they win every year. So uh, those two teams for sure. And then uh, if I'm going to go off the, uh, the board a little bit, uh, I think maybe the Mariners, if they really yeah. decide to write a big check, seems like that would be a pretty good environment for him. And uh, we know Jerry DePoto was, was in love with him and he was another, they were one of the finalists to get him in, uh, in 2017. So, you know, if they, they've certainly played a lot better now as we sit in 2022, if they continue this and they have another good year in 2023 and they're willing to write a huge check, I could see them being on the list too. All right. Well, congrats on the book, Depp, and it's great talking with you. All right. Thanks, Buster. Bleacher Tweets. Already, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a glorious Friday. Justin Simmons at Justin Lance Sim one is up first. He writes in, hey, Buster, a lot of players and clubs are worried about hitters messing up their swing in the home run derby. Do you think Acuna is doing it in part to find his power stroke? No, I think Acuna is doing it because he truly believes he's the best player in the world and he's going to show it. <laughs> All right. I, his level of confidence is off the charts. He's an interesting – he against Alonzo is going to be an interesting first round. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, very exciting. Uh, Alistair Hay at DiceCon writes an idea for you, Buster. If Major League Baseball continues to do legacy players on all-star teams, how about throwing in an all-star rookie player too? The world needs to see Spencer Strider's heat today. And would Taylor add Sarah to the ESPN rookie team? I think so. I think so, Sarah. I think you, you'd get the nod for me. I'm honored. Is it because you're scared to go against me after my hot streak with Todd? Oh my. You're out, you're out Sarah. Bruce Baldwin, my fellow <laughs> producer here, works on Hoopla, and he's in. Well, Bruce, well, Bruce uh, has just earned to answer it. the original part of the question, I would say this, uh, that you do see a lot of rookies make uh, the all-star teams. You know, Julio Rodriguez being a great example that 
And Sarah, yes, if you want to go to L.A., there'll be a trophy there for you or not, if Taylor now uh, withdraws that. Sarah's out. Katie Casey. Wow. <laughs> Tweet your bleeds is next. Simple question. Do you think pitchers are using any sticky stuff again? Yes. Uh, and I also think it's something I've had conversations about with people. And this is total speculation. I'm only going based on some of the physiques I'm seeing. I think we've seen a nudge upward in the use of PEDs. I like that you're checking out phys- physiques while you're uh, out there in the stadium, Buster. I would do the well, same. Well, you know, before and after. You, like, see a guy, and then you see him on television again, like, six weeks later, and you're like, huh, that's interesting. Mm, looking and, a little bit. You know, anybody who covered baseball in the 1990s certainly got, uh, you know, a better understanding of how quickly bodies can change uh, once guys go on the juice. Looking for that heft out there. I get it. Mitchell Black at MC Black 24 writes in, Hey, Buster, after hearing your interview with Elijah Green and how he quit football at 14 to focus on baseball, it got me thinking about Kyler Murray being drafted by the A's, but deciding to play in the NFL. Why don't we see multi-sport athletes anymore? Because I, I think fewer and fewer athletes actually play multiple sports. Uh, you know, where I live in New York, the big sport is lacrosse. And I don't mean this is an indictment of anyone. Uh, but the fact is, is that the kids are basically told, look, uh, or they understand if you're going to progress in that particular sport, then you're probably going to have to focus on lacrosse. <laughs> so they don't play other sports. Mm-hmm. And I think that message is coming across to more and more kids when they're, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. If you want to succeed in fill in the blank, you need to do that more often. I personally don't agree. I've spoken to a lot of players who don't agree, but uh, when when uh, adults are running the sports, those are the type of things that evolve. Specialization and lots of money in uh, yep. sports for small children. Uh, Debbie Gammons Brown writes in, are we for real buying the Orioles? Hmm. Says Debbie, whose team just got swept by the Tampa Bay Rays. She doesn't want to think the Orioles are real. No. Uh, do I think the Orioles are making the playoffs? No. Taylor, what about you? No, not really. I think we've seen a lot of good things. Ravi mentioned before, we'll see how sustainable that is, especially with uh, the Rays this weekend and then the Yanks and the Rays again after the All-Star break. So uh, I think it really kind of comes down to the pitching. The defense has been very good. The, you know, the lineup is above average, which is fine. I don't think they're going to get much better than that, but it's really about this this misfit lineup of pitching to see how far they go here. So we shall see. And I really think at this point, that, you know, and I, I've seen, uh, you know, uh, messages come out of the organization that they're going to consider buying and selling. I think the team's done well enough, given how low the payroll is. Ownership should step up and yeah. they need to oh, like, yeah. get a couple of guys. You know, and don't trade prospects. No one's expecting the Orioles to do that. But go in the marketplace, take on some money and support what the players have accomplished so far this year. Yeah, I mean, they can easily make some moves on the margins and not really give up anything of value just to improve the team a little bit. Like, it's not... A hundred percent. We saw the Braves do it last year. Yeah. Let's hope they do. Greg at Gregum writes in, haven't heard much about the crush quotient this year. Who are some players that have surprised you with their pop? Greg, I'll get back to you next week on that. I'm going to ask Hembo to get on that when he gets back from vacation. Hembo slothing it up on the eastern shore of Maryland. He's probably at Red Eye's dock bar right now. Uh, Archie Tatis <laughs> Jr. at Win for Gwyn writes, and has there ever been a player who has suspected around the league to intentionally make himself untradeable to earn his 5'10 rights, tanking on an individual level, so to speak? 
not uh, to get 10 fibroids per se, but there's no question. Manny Ramirez in 2008, in his last months with the Red Sox, one of the worst things anybody in baseball seen, that he intentionally played poorly, didn't make himself available all the time, to the degree that the Red Sox finally had to throw up their hands and say, look, we have to get rid of him. He was trying to put himself in a better position for his contract situation. At the end of that year, became a free agent, got paid in a big way with the Dodgers. So, yeah, Manny that year tanked. <laughs> All right. David at David Dogfather writes in, Mets, how about those Mets? Took two of three from the yep. Braves with three regulars out, including two All-Stars. Big statement. Yeah, it felt like a statement series for the Mets. It was, uh, you know, the, the Braves red hot going into it, and it uh, felt like the pitching matchups were to their advantage. And the Mets uh, took two or three. This is going to be a heck of a race down the stretch. Donald Gantz at Donald Gantz will close out the week. If Edwin Diaz continues pitching in this fashion, do you think there's a case for him to be a top Cy Young candidate? I think Dennis Eckersley in 92 and Eric Gagne in 03 would say it's achievable. Yeah, so uh, you'll remember this, Taylor. Zach Britton had arguably the best season for any reliever ever Mm -hmm. uh, in one of his last seasons with the Orioles. And you know what? He didn't come close to winning this award. Like in this era in which uh, writers use analytics more than ever, I just don't think a closer can win for the same reason that a part-time player isn't going to beat Shohei Otani for MVP because it's about production value. It's about amassing volume. And a reliever as great as they can be, a Josh Hader can be, they're not going to win the Cy Young Award. Zach Britton still sitting in the bullpen in Toronto waiting for his... Uh, oh, his man. <laughs> uh, we'll forget about that because the Orioles, they're going for 11 in a row tonight against the Rays. Very excited for that. Thanks for writing in, everyone. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. And uh, I don't know about our schedule next week because the All-Star Game, Home Run Derby. We'll see where we can get our Tim YouTube segment in. So definitely subscribe to the YouTube page um, for whenever that shows up. But uh, very excited for All-Star Week. That's it for today. That's it for this week. My thanks to Carl, Jeff, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.